Culinary Institute of Child Nutrition proudly welcomes you to The Mix-Up, an iBytes production. I'm your host, Chef Patrick Garmong, mixing it up with culinary experts from the child nutrition community. Welcome back to The Mix-Up. I am Chef Patrick, and I am so delighted to be joined today by Chef Rachel Gooding, Senior Research Chef at McCormick. Chef, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm super pumped to be here. Yeah, I'm so thankful that you're here. So you work for McCormick, but you also work for a very special part of McCormick, which is the McCormick Science Institute. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So the McCormick Science Institute was created a little over 15 years ago by our chief science officer who really had this vision of of bringing the health and wellness side of spices and herbs, really finding research and and um, funding research to, to really investigate what that is. And so when it first started, it uh, was much more, the goals were clinical. So it was taking a pill of turmeric or cinnamon and doing, um, you know, internal testing afterwards to see how that affects you. Um, and then it kind of, yeah. And then it kind of moved a bit more into, um, like can flavoring your food help lower these bad attributes that we're trying to to minimize? So it, the first one was sodium. And what they did was it was a study on in tomato soup. So they started with your standard sodium level of, of tomato soup. And then over the course of time, lowered the amount of sodium in the soup and increased the amount of, of seasonings. I believe it was like oregano and basil, okay. something along combination like that. And over time, you know, initially really preferred that high sodium one. But as you decrease the sodium over time, people by the end of it preferred the spiced one and the sodium level one was was too much. So so we did some studies focusing on on specific nutrients. So sodium, saturated fat and sugars. And now we've kind of moved a bit more into studies um, more holistically. So like in in real world settings, how does this work? Like if you consume high numbers, high amounts of spice in an everyday diet, does that benefit you clinically? If you, right. you know, just eat, if you like take the sodium, the saturated fat and the sugar out all at once, if you tackle it um, in combination, like, can you benefit that way too? So it's, it's really, I mean, as a chef, you know, it's certainly not the most creative work, but it's so rewarding right. because it's, it's, I mean, and it's interesting, like even the, the tomato soup study alone proves like something that I feel really about, which is, you know, you're, we're accustomed to eating high sodium, high fat, high sugar diets right now. And, and like, as you, you know, gradually change that and think more about flavor, like developing the dish as a whole, as opposed to just loading it with sugar, fat, and salt, you know, how much more delicious and almost offensive those high sodium, high fat sugar dishes become. Like I can't eat super salty things anymore. And I hate like sugary drinks. It's just like way too much on my palate because especially in this work, you know, I, I don't eat that way anymore. So it's like, whoa, that's like way too much, you know? Right. Yeah. Really so, good. you know, and I'm going to stop you just for a second. So our listeners know, so the work that's done by the McCormick Science Institute is has no bearing on McCormick in in how they they set aside funds to allow for independent research to be done, and so exactly. um, it so benefits the company and other companies so that they can learn from it, but they are not influencing the science one way or another. So exactly, yeah. So right. I think that's something super important. Yeah, so McCormick is, you know, the corporate spice company, what have you, but the Science Institute is, there are crazy firewalls, it is a separate thing, and and the Institute really just funds the research, so um, we find people who want to look into these sorts of things, and then they go have at it. That's awesome. So to get back to your point, though, on how our diets have become, you know, sodium, fat, um, you know, just laden and sugar laden. Um, it's, it's become like these crutches, right. For cooks and chefs to, exactly. you know, Oh, I need to fix this. Oh, I'll just throw some more, you know, butter in restaurants. Why does restaurant food taste so good? Well, it's loaded with butter a lot of times, right. Especially some of the, some of the classic nicer restaurants. And so we need to find ways to get away from that um, for our own health benefits, 
and because we can make food taste so much better with these natural ingredients that grow all around us. Um, one of the things that I've found most challenging in child nutrition cooking, um, or a perceived barrier, I should say, is the time it takes to develop flavor, right? So a lot of times child nutrition recipes are written where you're just throwing um, vegetables into water and starting to cook them down. Well, we're missing this whole opportunity to really start building flavor just from the humble ingredients of onion or carrot or peppers or celery and some of those all together at times. Um, Absolutely. And like, just think of the different ways a carrot can taste, you know, a raw carrot tastes so different than a boiled carrot, which, you know, to me tastes awful versus right. a roasted carrot versus like carrot puree. Or, you know, there's so many different ways to develop that flavor. And then, and then if you think of, if you start developing at that base level, you can build up so much and you can change it in so many different ways. You know, like if you're just, if your base level is, is, carrot mush and you just load it up with salt and butter sure it's fine but it could be so much more no absolutely and you know there's a there's a, a scientific culinary term called Maillard reaction right that um, seems kind of unapproachable in, in the big picture but it's really simple it's just the application of heat to a food product molecularly changes the proteins and sugars and it pulls some of those natural sugars right out of that food so and, uh, you know, carrot and is a great example, but onions and celery and all these, they all have natural sugars in them that um, when that heat supply starts really creating all these flavors that we end up adding ingredients at the end to compensate because we're not cooking them properly at the, the start. Have you seen that a lot? Is that your experience? I guess my experience is coming at it from, from a different angle, you know, like, like I'm more thinking how I take a recipe and not change it at all and flavor it just with spices and herbs. But I mean, it is so true. Like uh, my sister used to eat obnoxiously healthy and she would do she like boil everything. And, and, and it's just like, so blonde. Like if you add just, you know, a hair of fat to help that, that heat conduct itself, you know, the water right, really right. acts and if you just add a little bit of fat it's not going to you know kill your nutrition but it facilitates that browning and it really yeah. doesn't even take that long like so if you're cooking carrots in water i'm going to keep using carrots because they're on my mind um you know it might take like five minutes to soften all those carrots you add a little fat and you sear them and they get some nice uh well call it caramelization because that's a common term but yeah maillard browning you get that browning effect and that does like all these caramely flavors and and yeah it's really just delicious yeah yeah absolutely and i mean and you're absolutely right like a small amount of fat is absolutely needed to be able to conduct that that transfer, um, and thank you for bringing that, bringing that piece out. Um, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of it when we use it in the right way to exactly. add fat, just to add flavor in terms of the fat being the flavor component. You know, that's so not necessarily the right approach. Right? Yeah, exactly. Use, use it to coax the flavor out of these great foods and, and, uh, and kind of build those building blocks. Right. And I think another yeah, I barrier think People have gotten so dependent on, you know, fat, sugar, and salt as being flavors. Well, really, they're not flavors. They're no. they're tastes. And, yeah. and fat really is is a mouthfeel almost. I guess, you know, certain fats you could say have a flavor, but those are really coming from other components. But, you know, we rely so heavily on sugar and salt to be our flavor. And, and they're not flavor. I, you know, I lost my sense of smell a couple months ago from from COVID and first of all, as a chef, that was the most like devastating thing. Oh, like, is it ever going to come back? But I, I tried to use it as a learning experience. So, so I could taste salty, sweet things, oh, but I couldn't taste flavor, you know, but even so I couldn't bring myself, you know, everybody was like, oh, why don't you just eat healthy? And like, that's what I would do if I couldn't taste anything. But like, no, <laughs> like a good carrot tastes because it's only texture really is all you're getting. So like, right. and even, even still, like I still, I wanted that Maillard browning on my vegetables because it created something more in my mouth than just plain nothingness you know it was yeah. temperature and texture and all those things play such a role in the food that we eat and even the the end flavor you know if you eat 
hot, juicy chicken. It's so much better than cold, dry chicken. Like, who wants that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you bring up such a good point, too. It's beyond just the, the actual flavor in terms of how it tastes. But, I mean, we really, we eat with all five senses, right? And sometimes even if you can't taste and you can't smell, that's still that visual appeal of that brown carrot versus just uh, steamed carrot that's soggy and mushy. Like yes. that, it, there's a there's a nuance in the brain that changes. In the the room smells different when you mired right. brown something, or even yeah. when you add spices to things. Like the flavor, the aroma. I flavor is the wrong word. The aroma that and the memories that that all brings too. You know, like if oh. your mom made boiled peas for you every day and they were the worst thing ever, you're gonna remember that smell. You're never gonna forget it, and you'll never want another boiled pea again. That's Peas right. can be delicious if you, oh, you yeah. know, maybe saute them in a little olive oil and add some dill and maybe a little garlic and onion. Like that's fabulous afterwards, and that's not that hard or take no. that much. You know, by adding spices and herbs towards whether it's the beginning and bringing out those aromas right in the beginning or towards the end, like that adds so much additional layers of flavor and you don't need as much sodium at the end of the day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's talk about dill for a second. Dill is Uh, one of my favorite and most underutilized, you know, uh, herbs out there, dry or fresh. And I think so many people associate it just directly with pickled, right? So I think you're going to get a flavor out of things, but... And you, you put that with something like peas and it, it adds a nuance to those peas and it draws that sweetness out and you don't taste any pickle, right? I mean, it's just so exactly. different. I think people and get so, so nervous about it. And- and, and on different applications too, like like you said, with the peas, it's going to bring out the sweetness. But we've found like when you add dill to broccoli, roasted broccoli, it almost tastes a little cheesy. You know, you don't need a lot. I think part of the fear people have with using spices and herbs is oftentimes that they feel like they don't know what they're doing. And right. and I think part of it is just trying something like a little piece of it and sprinkle a little on and, and taste it. Is that good? Okay. Add about that same amount, you know, just start. You can't take away when you're cooking. Right. right? So like start with a little and keep adding a little bit at a time until it's just right. And like, that's part of my favorite thing. Like I am so blessed to work for a spice company, but is the experimentation is the playing around with different flavors. And like, and like you said, the techniques, like you just take one carrot and you, boil it you roast it you pan sear it all of those carrots are going to taste so different and at the end of the even if you did the same time each of them like it doesn't have to take more time or effort it's just a different approach to it yeah absolutely i like to um sneak a little dill into my potato salads i think it just adds a really nice nuanced flavor to it right and it, i don't have to compensate with so much other fat and sodium um and i'll do actually whenever i do a replace uh, a partial replacement of uh greek yogurt for mayonnaise that dill really helps carry it through and for whatever reason it helps that little bit of mayonnaise that's still in there still sing through but i still got that creamy from the the uh greek yogurt and it doesn't have that kind of astringent great yogurt flavor yeah, that like sometimes can show up when you do the replacement so it's kind of a fun fun way to play with that i mean you know, you just think about tzatziki, right? It's it's cucumber dill, yes, uh, Greek yogurt, basically, right? And it, it doesn't taste like raw Greek yogurt at all. No, um, so and I love the use of flavor yogurt. That yeah, and I love the use of yogurt in like savory applications like that. Like yogurt and eggs is fantastic with some like uh, crushed red pepper and a little cumin and coriander maybe some smoked pap- smoke paprika is another fantastic ingredient oh. that just makes changes the flavors of things to be, you know, you can make things taste like bacon without even trying. I've made portobello bacon by like thinly sing portobello mushrooms and tossing them in a little oil and then roasting and, and smoked paprika and then roasting them at like 400 until they they look like they're almost burnt so a lot of my browning going on and right. it tastes like bacon like i have fooled wow. people into thinking it was bacon a I'm little sugar brown sugar helps too you know but uh, honestly uh. you don't really need it and it, yeah no thing that instead like on a sandwich or as a topper or something just like nice crunch and and it, the umami flavor concentrate because like also if you're boiling things in water it, the, everything's just leaching out and now it's in the water and it's including the nutrients in. right like the nutrients exactly. are like they're not they're not holding into that product 
Exactly. Whereas if you're using like a dry heat and you're conducting it with a small amount of fat, things are, the water is evaporating off and the nutrients are concentrating. So really like, you know, and not just, but the flavor is concentrating. So you're deepening and you're enriching and you're just, yes, words. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. so delicious. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you know, it's not just our foods either, right? Like our dried spices. I think sometimes we see folks that are recipes written in you're adding these dried spices in almost towards the end of the cooking process. And it's like, why are you doing that? Because raw, you know, spices essentially are, are you know, uh, ground dried spices are essentially raw, right? So, you know, cooking them in a way where it's called blooming, right? And we're adding it to a little yes. bit of cooking fat and then we're flavoring that cooking fat as well. And we're, we're allowing the, the, the flavor of those spices to come out and it like increases what well, I think it's like 10 times the flavor comes out of when you bloom a spice or something like that. And it's like, you know, I, I've met a lot of older chefs who, who bloom their spices in water before adding it to things, which like I hate because you're removing half the flavor with the right. water that you just, or you're diluting what it is you're making by adding more water. So if you add the spice, whether it's at the beginning, if that's what's most appropriate, like there needs to be either some sort of heat application to activate those or or time, right? So like yeah. if you wanna make ranch dressing, with Greek yogurt thinned with a little skim milk and add in your favorite, excuse me, spices and herbs, you know, some dill, a little mustard seed, you know, and you can play around with whatever it is. Like there's a world of flavor out there with spices. And, you know, when you first taste it, it's a little dry. It doesn't, right. it doesn't have those f full flavors. So you need the time for that to develop. So just by making it an hour ahead of service, then it, oh my goodness, you taste it an hour later and you're like, wow, this is so flavorful and delicious. Someone dip all my veggies in it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's those two pieces, right? Time or, or temperature. And when you can put them both together, that's why um, things like braises, right? I mean, exactly. And, and, and stewing things, it, it's a slow cooking process and really just you're pulling all these great flavors out of things, both through the application of heat and time. And it just keeps developing and, and layering. And I think that's another area that folks get confused about is like layering flavor. What does that even mean, right? So- Oh my goodness, yeah. You know, like, and, and it, it's different for every application. So what do you find so like when you're trying to explain layering flavors to folks? Yeah. So like if we're talking about a stew, you know, you might start by adding some Maillard browning to that beef and you sear it really hard with a high temperature and you just get that nice, crispy, you know, outer coating. And then in that same end with the, the fond, you know, the brown stuff at the bottom, that's got all the deliciousness. Yeah, those brown bits, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Then you add your onions and maybe your, the rest of your poire, maybe some carrot celery. And then you, you want to brown that again, because that again, it's layering flavor and it helps deglaze the pan with with all of that fawn the deliciousness on the bottom and then and then instead of adding water you add wine or lemon juice some sort of acidic component to to yeah. you know not just like finish cleaning off the bottom of your pan and add that flavor but but you're adding more flavor with the addition of that yeah. and then you add everything yeah. back in and it might be water it might be some tomato juice or what have you whatever braising you're gonna do but at the end of the day that liquid should be flavorful too because you're gonna want to consume that you're not gonna toss it and then maybe you throw in some bay leaves and peppercorn and parsley and, and other flavors that you want to layer on dry spices and herbs yes. that need time right yeah exactly and then and then you let it go and, and it's passive you know you're not really putting too much effort into it. But at yeah. the end of the day, they're working themselves together to marry and, you know, just have this party of flavor that you get to experience in your mouth later. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think you bring up a really good uh, point too with adding that acid, right? So we're probably not using a lot of wine or beer as an acid in child nutrition yeah. programs, but, you know, using some sort of citrus juice or a vinegar, um, early yeah. in that process. So it, many even kinds of vinegars too, you know, like right. the world is endless. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're building some, some more depth of flavor there and then you can always come back later too when the dish is almost complete and just finish it with just a little bit more of, uh, of a culinary acid. Like, so like say we're building a chicken tortilla soup, right? You may want to use just a little bit of vinegar in the beginning after you've sweated down and you bloomed your herbs and you sweated stuff down and, 
to deglaze that pan using maybe just a little bit of vinegar to just kind of put that level of sweetness in there at the end. You know, you get a, a chicken tortilla soup, right? And what does it come with? A lime wedge, right? Because it adds exactly. that brightness to it. And when you add that citric acid, you don't need as much salt, as much yes, sodium, right? It's, it flavors it. It's elevated. You know, I like to think of the things that you taste on your tongue as like elevation to your other flavors as opposed to the flavors yourself themselves right so the lime juice in there it might bring up the heat or or the other uh, spices and herbs that are in that soup or it might you know make something kind of bland something that's just maybe lightly seasoned you know maybe starch or vegetables like green beans just adding a little acid at the end like makes everything pop so much more and like your mouth happier <laughs> yeah it's huge it gets those salivatory glands open and so yeah. that little bit of salt that's in there helps the food taste more like itself and the salivatory glands being open from the citrus just it lets all those flavors in it's so great yeah it makes you experience oh, it's a missing component yeah it is yeah, yeah. And, and i feel like it's really key there isn't one special magic ingredient you know i feel like we've thought in the past that the special ingredient was salt the special ingredient was sugar whatever but that's not right. that's not really the case we need to think of it more of like a symphony different flavors all working together to create this beautiful thing in your mouth as opposed to like one single star you know like there might be a a prominent flavor that works but every you know you're not just buying to a lemon nobody wants to do that or like right. you want i mean i want more yeah. <laughs> from things yeah, it's like it's like a musician, right? Like uh, a humble carrot can be up there singing on their own, and it's good. But then you start right. adding in, you know, the bass line behind them and the drums, and you know, next thing you know, you've got this band that's got somehow a symphony orchestra behind them playing with the band. And you just it just it's mind blowing because you just added yes. all these different components and pieces to it, and the star of it's still that that carrot, right? But they're not just out yes. there singing on their own. They've got all these other pieces that are that are bringing it together and, and making it harmonize and maybe yes, even bringing it to your eyes. You couldn't have it. You've never experienced it in that way before. And you're just like, I've known this song forever, but now it's touching my soul in a way that I never thought possible. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I never knew a carrot could move me to tears like this one does. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, it is like the greatest pleasure in my life to cook. I just bringing like marrying flavors together building layering flavors is like makes me so i love teaching other people about it because i it just how can it not make you happy <laughs> right right and i mean and there are health i mean i don't want to get on a, a scientific tangent here because that's not my wheelhouse but i think we're seeing increasingly that um there's there's proven uh proven science behind herbs and spices having strong health benefits. So, I mean, not only are we making our food taste better, we're doing good things for our body. Exactly. And it's so simple to, you know, really, if you, if you're not, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of my approach to recipes is, is not really changing the basic nature of them and, and just kind of only pulling out salt, sugar, saturated fat, adding back flavor through seasonings and like even just that small little change like let's say you're making chili and you always use canned beans and they're then they're the regular salted if you use unsalted canned beans and you choose unsalted tomatoes and you build your chili from the bottom up by building all of those flavors and adding like maybe a heavier amount of garlic and onion powder for your chili than you would normally do it to like kind of replace that salt that you, you think you're losing and just right. elevate all the rest of those flavors and then layer on, you know, your cumin and some red pepper and whatever other flavors you want in your chili. I like to add a little cinnamon to mine and, mm, and yeah, then yeah. build it all up. And because you're not using canned salted things to start with you can add the salt and you can right. control it and you can salt it to just the right amount where <clears throat> excuse me it tastes like something but it's not salt right isn't the first thing that you taste right and it should never be the first thing that you taste right i mean no it, yeah it, it and it helps like, i i i just feel like i just have to keep drilling this in salt helps things taste more like themselves and that's where it should exactly. stop Right? And that's all you need. Like, yeah. I think 
when I was a little kid, I was easily addicted to salt. Like I would eat salt rocks because I loved it so much. And right. as I mean, it, it tastes good, right? I mean, you get a French fry and, you know, as a kid, it's a vessel to eat salt, right? And ketchup, which is another oh, salty, yeah. vinegary yeah. thing, right? But but the older we get, the more we realize, like, that's not how we should be eating. And there's right. the benefits and of eating have- it a different way are so much better. Then you have a French fry with maybe a small amount of Parmesan cheese and some rosemary and garlic on it. You're like, whoa, this right? is so much better than that salty French fry I had before. And yeah. like even those small nuances of like changing how you season a potato, thinking about flavor as opposed to salt is so huge. And like, I think that mindset shift, like, people are definitely moving towards that. And, and as we shift as a kind of thing, I think the industry will have to shift with us because yeah. you're not going to want that salty stuff anymore. Cause it's, it, right. it's offensive, you know, like, yeah, it I is. Eat, yeah. I try and eat a candy, but like, I can't eat a full bite. Cause I'm like, Whoa, that is so much. How did I used to eat this? Right. right. So, you know, I, there's two questions that come to mind. And the first one, I'll, I'll tackle the other one in a minute, but, how do we start helping our children understand these things? Because a lot of the foods that are at their eye level in the stores that they have somewhat immediate access to are those things that aren't great for them, right? They're sodium laden. They're, yeah. they're some sort of commercially processed powder that emulates cheese with a ton of spice in it. Or, you know, like, have you all kind of, started looking into at the science institute different ways to you know bring kids around to this concept because we're talking about us as adults and our audiences is adults but they're preparing foods for children how can we help bridge that gap i think a lot of the bridge in education is in and and getting messy with it you know we haven't done anything specifically with the you know there's been talks of it but but nothing's been really developed for for search study but but if you bring kids in and and you know hopefully other kids did this too or I was just a weirdo but like I loved making potions you know like mixing things together (laughs) and seeing what came out afterwards and and I did something with they were maybe 11 year olds maybe like sixth or seventh grade um and they were learning about food science so so we kind of walked them through all the different things that you could do as a food scientist and at the end i made this vegan cheese and then we have this wall of spices and we're like okay have at it like make some sort of seasoned queso for us however you want it to be and what they came up with at the end like so they were all pretty delicious and it was cool to yep. see like some people went really heavy on the spiciness and it was like bright orange and you're like yeah. oh my god you can eat us okay good for you yeah. like my mouth is on fire and then other, even uh we've done some vegetable studies like in uh in school settings, so just flavoring the steamed vegetables that they put out on the line for school lunches. Um, and bef- in the develop those recipes, we really wanted to, you know, it's so key to be in tune with your demographic because I right. might like something and, and you're not gonna like it. Yes. So I did a, a similar approach with the kids there where I brought in a bunch of spices, I microwaved a bunch of frozen vegetables and I was like, Tell me what, smell these spice. I think aromas, huge, like smell the spice, taste it a little bit. Do you like it? Okay, start adding it. Start a little bit at a time. And, you know, if you mess up, then you mess up and and we can do it again. You know, cooking is all about experimentation and and tasting. So, like, I think kids get excited by that, especially because it's something they get to eat at the end of the day. And if they up, you're like, okay, well, now you learned your lesson. You don't want to add a tablespoon of red pepper to something. (laughs) Like... And and, exactly. and, I, yeah. and like I you know I I don't work closely enough with schools to know what's feasible. I think if there could be like a fun day activity where they get to even just make their own vegetable dip. Here's Greek yogurt, and we've added a little lemon juice and salt just as your base. And you can make whatever you want with it. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. And I like mean, and I. Think that's the most exciting part to me because it's tangible, you know, like you can talk and, and say whatever you want, but until you experience it, especially something like utilizing herbs and spices to flavor your food is, is so personal. It's, it's so much what, what I want and like, and, 
and once you start smelling and, and tasting the spices, I think it's it's easier to become in tune with, okay, this is how I want this to be flavored. Yeah. And I think if we get kids' hands dirty young and like start them down that journey, like flavoring their food as opposed to just eating salty things, I think it'll be a huge game changer. You know, who knows how accurate I am, but I feel like it no, would be. I, I, think, I think you're like, there's, there's a huge opportunity here. And I know in education, there's certain requirements about how many hours of instruction every year students need on, on, on some level of nutrition. And, you know, it, it begs to question and kids are competitive. So as, as I say, those yeah. two things, no, 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 that I'm taking this in a good direction here that there's an opportunity to maybe have like some teams work together, student teams work together and create different, uh, you know, dressings or dipping sauces or things like these with, with a base like yogurt, right? And, and here's a pantry of herbs and spices and, you know, blind tasting and vote yeah. the best one. And that one maybe gets served in the cafeteria for that year. And, you know, and, and, you know, you bring up such a good point too about what tastes good to you may not taste good to me. And that made that, you know, we, we've got school districts that have hugely diverse segments of the community within them. And I think an exploration of herbs and spices and identifying how those might work in with more traditional foods provides an opportunity to create comfort foods for people within different um, segments of each community, right? Because what might be 100%. a comfort food for you may not be a comfort food for me, but how can we find an opportunity on the menu to have your comfort food and my comfort food both represented within that cycle menu. And I feel like like a great vehicle to do that might be something like tomato sauce, which, you know, is a, a staple in so many different countries. Yeah. But whether you take it, you know, you've got your traditional tomato sauce, that's garlic, onion, basil, oregano, you know what you're getting. But you can take it into, you know, a more north african feel by adding a little cinnamon and some cumin and cardamom to it and you're still yeah. you're using that same base you're just tomatoes maybe a little salt and then the spices that you add to it can take it into so many different directions you know take yeah. it to butter chicken with some turmeric and a little cream at the end of the day and like you could even have like a lineup of of you know chicken and a starch maybe rice or pasta and then three different levers of tomato sauce and you can uh, like take it however way you want or I'm sure and I'm sure there's other vehicles like that where you can take it in different directions even like even dressing so you can make like a more Caesary dressing you could take it more to Peru and add some like ahi and oh I don't know lime and there's so many options but yeah no but I think something though, right yeah, going from that base like, concept though, right? It, it, it's it's exactly. so, yeah, I mean, and I love that idea, right? You could have like a made to order station almost with a bowl concept. There's there's the brown rice, right? And maybe you have, um, uh, USDA Direct has this great unseasoned, unbreaded uh, chicken strips that are great. You heat those up and then you have three different tomato based sauces and they're different, but maybe your, your, your garnish on that too is like, you've got, um, Cori or uh, cilantro, right? Yeah. So maybe you have yeah. like a, a Latin inspired, you've got a North African inspired, an Indian inspired, and all of those would be great with a little bit of, you know, that, that um, chicken and rice. Chicken and rice. So, yeah. I mean, every culture has some sort of a chicken and rice dish, right? Seemingly. I mean, I can't think of any that don't. And maybe, maybe and you throw, then, you have chickpeas you there, even, and there's your vegetarian yeah. option, right? And Yes. And you could even take like the same spices. So whatever you develop for your, your Indian tomato sauce, your North African tomato sauce, and your, let's call it Italian tomato sauce, then you can take those same principles and then add them to your vegetables and have pairings for the vegetables too. So you get your North African chicken with some, you know, harissa season carrots and everything that now all is a complete meal and it and it all works together with all those different flavors and again like you're using the same ingredients across the board and you're just changing up the flavors of spices and that's like i think the coolest like most magical thing about food is like how simple changes can transform something into it to being completely different yeah 
No, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, one of the things with child nutrition programs is we really um, focus on make sure you're cooking the recipe as written. So there's a great opportunity here for um, whoever's overseeing food production and recipe development within the district to get some staff time and, and do, do your own training on how can we take these base ingredients and make them resonate with our students, do a little taste testing with them. Um, we're, we're about to, ICN's about to release um, the first ever recipe standardization guide for child for school nutrition programs. So there'll be great tips in there. I'm going to plug ourselves, consider this like a podcast commercial, but um, yeah, you, you know, would love to see that if you want to share it with me. Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's coming your way. Trust me. It is. It's, it should be out next week. So I'll get it to you. For oh, sure. awesome. Yeah. But um, all that said, like you can do some staff development time. And, and create these different flavors within your team. One of the things though, so because we want them to all follow the recipe, because you want whoever is executing that recipe to execute the same way every single time, no matter whether it's your regular cook or a substitute cook that day, right? So we can be artistic in our training. So we create a paint by number system when we yes. go to do our production, right? So we want to we want to be mindful of that, but there's opportunity to be creative in that training environment and use that moment to learn learn things. So yeah, I could even see as part of the training a, a development of a North Africa seasoning that you work on, and so you've got your basic tomato sauce recipe, and and maybe there's like a supplement where it's like at this step add your spices for basic tomato sauce, it's these spices. For North African, it's this. For, you know, some region in India, it's this. And and it's still exactly following the recipe, but you have some, what are those, what were those books where it was like, and then you do this and you had to choose your, choose your own, own adventure, adventure books. Yeah, yes, like yes. choose your own recipe. Yeah, that's so, yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, I'm geeking out so hard. Um, so <laughs> one of the things that we'll, you know, you're mentioning like if you if you follow this adventure, you want to add your spices here. If you follow this adventure, add your spices there. How can folks identify first of all when it's best to use fresh versus dried, specifically herbs? But then, like, where can people go to learn like when it's appropriate to add what spices at what levels? And, you know, in what what part of the cooking process? Right. You know, that's a great loaded question. <laughs> yeah. As far as the fresh versus dry for herb, I more or less only use fresh if like as a garnish or something that I'm about to serve right away. Because they're going to like, it's not like you can make a sauce with dill in it and it still be green the next day. Like oftentimes it's going to be pretty brown and ugly and like um, dry spices and herbs. I would say like you don't want to garnish with dried basil or it's just going to taste dry in your mouth right. so you, it, tastes, you want it to have, has a weird rawness to it right yeah you yeah. have some sort yeah. of uh, like we said blooming stage so it, i usually add if i'm cooking with them in a sauce or or some sort of broader dish i add them like after my aromatic after i saute but before i add my liquids yeah to kind of like meld them with all it helps evenly distribute them and and heat and everything up and and start to bloom anything that's you know um blooms better and fat will get soaked up by the oil in your pan versus the moisture from the vegetables that you're cooking will help bloom the other ones so and you can cook it down a bit you know and if it's something where you're trying really trying to develop flavor like um like a lot of African dishes, you you really cook that that first step pretty hard. So like if yeah. you're using tomato paste, it, it starts out pretty well red. It's it's almost brick color by the end of your you're done with it, right? And then you can add your spices in at that point. Um, something like your seasoning meats, you know, if there's no salt in it, the sooner the better. The, those flavors are just going to um, soak into the meat itself, right? right. So, so it's like I a think dry brine, basically, right? Almost, yeah. We yeah. did a. I did a recipe recently for like a dry aged duck, and we crusted it in this mixture of all these all these spices and juniper, like crushed juniper, oh, there, wow. and and it almost like scented the the duck breast. So when you ate it, it wasn't like, whoa, I'm you know drinking some gin with this duck right now, yeah. but it, it had this kind of perfume. But in your, it's a, it was such a hard experience to describe. It, like it felt like perfume, 
but it was a taste, you know, yeah. like, it, yeah. um, so for meats, I would say, you know, sooner than better, but, but you can do it just before too, cause you're going to be applying heat to that. So like there's right. some, some activation happening, the moisture releasing from the meat, the heat in the environment, that'll all help. Now, if you're making something like a dressing, um, or a dip where there's no heat activation, you need time. So yeah. if it's cold stuff, you mix it in. And I'd, I'd say at least an hour ahead of time. Okay. Yeah, Overnight, that's good advice. Yeah. Best, but, right, but right. at least an hour. Yeah. Perfect. Did that I think it'll help folks kind of draw. Yeah. I think it helps folks kind of draw <laughs> in on, on when and how to use those things. I think there's a lot of confusion at times and, you know, and I, I love the way that you're describing the use of, especially with heat application, any sort of fresh, fresh herbs, right? Because um, they, for lack of a better term, begin to die quickly when heat's applied to them. Their flavors right. start to get muted or they actually, um, like uh, cilantro's one with the flavor can actually turn quite bitter really quickly. Yeah, yeah and they taste almost muddy and they look yeah. ugly and yeah, like harder fresh like herbs like thyme or, or rosemary are okay but even even then it's it's a little harsh yeah. in your in your mouth you know it's almost like you want to make a tea with it like if you're making broth you might want to use fresh rosemary really dry works perfectly fine there to your fresh thyme um like i think of of fresh things as either a garnish or like a a quick infusion you know like something that you're, if you're going to use it fresh and you're going to use it ahead of time, like it should be something you want to throw away at the end of the day because right, like, right. You, yeah. you pull out everything you want from it and then I don't, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always found like there's two different groups. I mean, there's more, but just in general, kind of two different groups of our, our fresh herbs, right? You got your, your leafy green ones, so that's your mint, your basil, your parsley, your cilantro, um, uh, oregano, and then you kind of got your your woody, your hard ones, and that's your your yeah. thyme and your your rosemary. Um, and it depends on how crazy it gets. Your marjoram sometimes I've seen some pretty yeah, yeah. But those are the ones that like if I want to use them fresh in a dish, like I cut them really small, you know, mince yeah. them down really small, and then right towards the very end, especially if it's like in a roasting process. And I'm thinking more roasting than anything. I throw them on just at the very end. And, and um, let them cook for just a couple minutes at, at the end and, and let those flavors come out. But you're right, after after service, they're pretty much done Like because they can get really yeah. stringent. But um, but if you were to throw that same, uh, those same woody fresh herbs on there early, they start to burn out and give everything a really bad flavor. So it's just kind of that, that when, where, and why. And it's hard to have this conversation in a short amount of time because we could go through each one and talk about 87 different applications for each one. I, I know, I know. And that, and you know, like some people are like, oh, I only want fresh. And fresh has its place and, and it's right. fantastic. And it, and it has this like bright, fresh flavor, but dry like has its purposes too. Like yeah. it is super useful and you know, it makes for quick saws, especially like in sodium reduction with right now we're talking about herbs, but like garlic and onion powder are my biggest like magic wand over low sodium food is throwing a little garlic and onion powder in there. Like right. it's crazy yeah. how much it, it, it acts as elevating all the other flavors like salt does, you know? And like, yeah. and even then, you know, like something like basil and oregano, like you probably aren't going to use fresh basil and oregano in your tomato sauce. Like maybe finish no. with a leaf of basil. You're going to use right. dry because it's appropriate. Like I think all of these things have their appropriate use. Like sometimes it's appropriate to use whole spices and sometimes it's appropriate to use ground. And, and depending on how you're developing that for over time is how is, you know, Again, yeah, yeah, this conversation could be like a whole day is long. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, oh, geez, I was just, oh, I had something on the top of my head and then I lost it. Hold on, I'm going to come back to it. Um, okay. Oh, geez. Well, you mentioned whole spices. So I'm going to use that as a, as a time gap while I think of my other thing. But I know like it, whole spices can be really intimidating for child nutrition programs because they get, you know, the big... 16 ounce or gallon size ground spices. Um, I've been trying to advocate for folks getting smaller versions of those and then creating their own spice blends so they can yes. store them so that, you know, when it's time to, let's say you're gonna do taco meat, right? Or fajita meat or something, you have your own kind of like 
your district Southwest seasoning that you're only buying enough of at one time so that um, you can make it for that cycle menu or maybe two cycles menus and <clears throat> not waste because these things can die on the shelves, right? I mean, they start to lose their Absolutely. potency. Yeah, and I, I think like, so long as it's in a cool, dark, they have a fairly long life, but yeah, if you're if they're out in light and you're using them all the time, certainly. But I, I love that idea of like building your own spice ones because again, like I, you know, Baltimore City might have a totally different flavor profile than, you know, New Mexico for right. Southwest. You know, like some areas are going to want it really spicy, whereas some are going to want it totally trans trend traditional like whatever the little packet of seasoning for taco mix they're going to want that you know and they don't want variation of it but i think especially if, it, if you make it interactive in some way like you could even have competitions for the spice blend like right. um, yeah it could go yeah. to so many places and and then it's customizable and you're adding the salt you know how much salt you're adding per teaspoon if you're building that blend yourself and and you don't even need to have salt in the blend you can have salt on the side and yourself you know or add it in just the right amounts to not go over on your nutrition that you're trying to hit and and not vary on your recipe too much but really create something your own that that's what you want it to be what your area wants it to be yeah and it, it can also help immensely with your your, just your mise en place right like something that totally. you're going to use a lot right you're not going to have to keep making it every single time you made it at the beginning of the month or beginning of a three month cycle, whatever. And you've taken that step of creating that spice blend out of the process. And it just totally streamlines. My only, my only, um, watch out for making your own spice blends is thinking about the size of your ingredients, right? Cause a right. lot of the time people, people have problems because spice blends have salt or sugar and, and mm -hmm. they do that so that they can plate you know, coat a very small amount of oil on those crystals to kind of help everything stay in suspension. So if mm -hmm. you're not going, if you're making it yourself, make sure you mix it well before you use it each time. Cause some things right. might stratify. Yeah. Like if it's a mixture with like an Italian mixture and you've got garlic, onion, basil, and oregano, your basil and oregano are going to settle on top. Your garlic right. and onion are going to be on the bottom. So you just got to be conscious of like, if it's all small things, like a taco season is going to be fine. Everything's about right. the same size, but same deal. If you put like rice and dried chickpeas in a bowl and you shake it together, the chickpeas are going to float to the top and the rice is going to bottom. So that's an important principle to remember when making blends just so that, it's consistent each time. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. I'm really glad you brought that up. I remember what I was going to ask you about. So okay. we're talking about onion powder and garlic powder, right? Um, I like to use those as an added component, but still using whenever possible my raw onion and raw garlic um, in the Absolutely. recipe. Absolutely, I think they're two totally different things. They are, right? So yeah, I think a lot of people think that just adding in some onion powder or some garlic powder can replace the actual yeah, no, no. onions and onions and they, they just don't. Because yeah. like if you think of dried garlic and onion powder, you've taken an onion, you've dehydrated it, and then you've ground it up. So it's already gone through a process. And, and once you're there, it's like almost concentrate. I think of it almost as salt. It, it's it's flavor, but it, it's like, it's an alum. So it's got that pungency to it. It's, it's more than just, it can stand alone without, you know, like so many things need salt to make them taste like themselves, but like right. onion powder, garlic powder, they're going to taste like onion and garlic powder on their own. And, and they're almost savory. There, there's a richness to them that, that you don't get with fresh garlic and onion. And, and the fresh one, like not only are they adding texture to your, your dish, but you can brown them you can develop flavor with them. And then think of the garlic and onion powder as your salt, almost, you know, you still right. need just a of salt to make everything else. You know, garlic and onion isn't going to make everything else taste more like itself, but it'll make everything else taste like something if there's yeah. no salt in there. Uh, so, yeah. so I think I don't, they are certainly not one for, you know, you cannot replace one for the other. I don't believe that at all, but they each have their purpose in the kitchen. Perfect. I want to clear up that, mis that misconception because 
um, yeah, I think it's, it's still kind of prevalent out there for folks that don't have that culinary background. So you've heard it here from the senior research chef on spices. They do not replace one another. So. No, yeah, because like they're, they just taste so epically different to me. And like, yeah, yeah. yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we could go on and on and on, but you've given me an hour of your time and we are coming up on that. So I want to be respectful and thank you so much for joining me today. Um, this is, uh, you know, we've done some other podcasts with schools and they've been great and I love each one of those. But for me, this has been, I mean, almost a special treat to be able to just um, really kind of geek out, so to speak, with another chef and just talk flavor, talk concepts. So I can't thank you enough for taking your time today to join me. Absolutely. I've been smiling so much my cheeks hurt. So this <laughs> has been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh my gosh. Well, um, I hope that we're going to be working together on some, some stuff in the near future. And um, I just want to thank you so much. Absolutely, Patrick. I will talk to you soon. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Join us on another mix-up where I, Chef Patrick Garmong, or my cohort, Chef Garibur Dan, are going to be joined by some of the top culinary folks in the field. We'll see you next time on The Mix-Up. Join us next time as we continue to mix it up with culinary experts from the child nutrition community. I've been your host, Chef Patrick Garmong from the Culinary Institute of Child Nutrition. Hey, don't forget to wash your hands. This project has been funded at least in part with federal funds from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Food and Nutrition Service through an agreement with the Institute of Child Nutrition at the University of Mississippi. The contents of this publication do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, nor does mention of trade names, commercial products, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. The University of Mississippi is an EEO AA Title VI, Title IX, Section 504, ADA, ADEA employer. In accordance with federal law and U.S. Department of Agriculture policy, this institution is prohibited from discriminating on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability. To file a complaint of discrimination, write USDA Director, Office of Civil Rights, Room 326W, Whitney Building, 1400 Independence Avenue, Southwest, Washington, D.C., 202-509410 or call 202-720-5964. USDA is an equal opportunity provider and employer.